We've got an incredible show lined up for you all today. I know you're mad. I know you've got that weird, empty feeling still. That feeling eerily similar to when you lose something you hold very close. Maybe you lose your appetite. Maybe you can't sleep. You're left wondering why. Yeah, we have those same feelings here at West of Everest, and our goal during the next hour or more is to help you all through it. Some of you may not even want to talk or think about that Rose Bowl anymore, and I get it. But I think you're going to want to hear this podcast because we're going to tell you the truth about what happened in Pasadena, and hopefully that gives you all a little clarity, and it's somewhat therapeutic. Shockingly, I feel a little better after watching back the game. I feel like I've got a better understanding about what happened. So with that, I want to begin the show with this thought. We're done with bowl season now, and I bet a lot of you are in some kind of bowl pick you know, where you make picks on all the bowl games. It's a way for each game to have some sort of meaning, because why else would you have any interest in watching Troy versus FIU? When you're making picks for each bowl, isn't it great when you see matchups that you're incredibly confident in picking? For example, you like South Carolina over Michigan. Because you saw the Gamecocks offense convert a lot of third downs against a very good Georgia defense earlier in the year and only lose by a couple touchdowns in Athens. On the flip side, you know Michigan's offense is absolute trash. And South Carolina under Will Muschamp has a good defense. Plus, the Gamecocks are a touchdown underdog to Michigan. Michigan shouldn't be getting seven points against any team with an above-average defense. Or what about Penn State over Washington in the Fiesta Bowl? You know Penn State's a bad matchup for the Huskies, and Washington's highly ranked defense hasn't really seen a good offense all season long. Plus, the Nittany Lions defense is really good. Definitely the best defense Jake Browning in that Washington offense has seen all year. So you've got South Carolina. You've got Penn State. And then the bowl games get closer. And you start to second-guess yourself. Jeez, the Big Ten is undefeated in bowl games so far? Maybe I should take Michigan instead of South Carolina. Man, well... Grant did point out that Washington is one of the best rush defenses in the country, and Penn State does have trouble blocking up the middle. And Penn State's offensive coordinator left for Mississippi State? Plus Chris Peterson, an underdog in the Fiesta Bowl? I've seen that before. How can I bet against that? So at the last second, you change your picks. You go against your gut. You go against your preparation. You doubt yourself. You lose confidence in what you know. And you switch your pick. Outback Bowl, South Carolina wins by a touchdown. Fiesta Bowl, Penn State wins by a touchdown. Turns out your initial thoughts were correct. You were right all along. And at that last minute, you lost confidence in your abilities. That was Lincoln Riley on Monday at the Rose Bowl. His preparation for Georgia's very good defense was fantastic. He had Kirby Smart outcoached. For once, an elite offense was getting the best of an elite defense in one of these huge bowl games. And not just getting the best of, but dominating. Sure, Georgia's defense played better in the third quarter. The Bulldogs practiced too. And they've got a lot of good players. Georgia started to slow OU's offense. But in the fourth quarter, even after a bad interception by Baker Mayfield, his worst pick of the year, even after that, the Sooners found themselves leading Georgia by a touchdown with five minutes to play with the ball. And by the way, the last time Oklahoma had the football, the Sooners had gone 88 yards and scored a touchdown by far their best drive of the second half. So, the offense was feeling confident. After the way the second half played out, this was a dream scenario for Oklahoma. And Oklahoma fans, the best offense in college football, the best unit in college football, period, on the field with a chance to drain the clock to win the game. 
and OU didn't even manage one first down. It was a surreal sequence. How many times this year have we seen OU's offense grind away the game, even when the opposing defense knows they're going to run the ball? It happened against TCU and Norman, Texas Tech and Norman, Oklahoma State, Ohio State to some extent. The Sooners had done that multiple times all season. But in this instance, Lincoln Riley lost confidence in his abilities. He lost confidence in his preparation, and he lost confidence in his offense. On first down, OU ran its favorite double pull counterplay, and Rodney Anderson gained five yards. That would be the final time all night we would see that play. From there, it was an RPO that Mayfield had to keep on second down, and then on third down and two, a failed awkward option play to the short side of the field. I'll break down that play and another failed play later in the show more precisely. But what we saw from OU in that situation, and then again in overtime, was something we haven't seen all season long. It was something we could not have envisioned. Immediately after the game, Lincoln Riley said he could not point to one single play or moment that he would like to have back. After all, there's a lot of plays in a game. But I guarantee you, upon watching back that film, Riley will be kicking himself over and over and over again. I feel bad for the guy. I feel bad for the Sooners. Hopefully this painful loss serves as a massive, massive learning experience for the young head coach. When you're as gifted as Lincoln Riley, trust yourself, trust your preparation, and don't lose confidence in your abilities. I just wish this lesson could have been learned when the stakes weren't so high. I'm Lee Benson, and this is West of Everest. Around the end, Michelle strung out, and Hithard loses the ball, it's out, the Sooners have it, Stephen Parker, a scoop, and score! Stephen Parker, assisted by Caleb Kelly, of course, picks up the Sony Michelle fumble, and goes 46 yards to the house, giving the Sooners a 45-38 lead with just under seven minutes to play in the Rose Bowl. Fortunately, as you all know, that would be really the last truly exciting, fun moment of the Rose Bowl for those wearing crimson and cream. Welcome into West of Everest. Again, I'm Lee Benson, and I'm joined as always by my brother Grant. Grant, you were there in Pasadena at the game. You experienced all of that firsthand in person. I hope you've gathered all your thoughts because I'm sure you've got lots of them. What was it like being at that game? Well, Lee, taking away, first of all, just the absolutely gorgeous setting, and it is. I, I can't recommend it enough to go and see it someday. It was, it was an absolutely gorgeous day, and, and just being surrounded by the San Gabriel Mountains and, and you know, it it kind of, you know, being over a football field was, was kind of a surreal experience. It, it was a very, it's just a very beautiful area and it, it's very deservingly called, you know, the most picturesque setting in college football because it is, it was, it was gorgeous. It was, it was very bright and it was very cool to be there. Having that been said, what was the game like? Excruciatingly terrible. An absolute, uh, it, it was, it was certainly the most tense game I have ever been to, have ever been a part of, have ever watched and me, along with, oh, probably the 70 to 75,000 or so Georgia fans that were surrounded me who were there, none of us enjoyed that game at all. At least Georgia fans didn't until the game was, was completely over. But 
just a very tense game. It was not fun to watch at all, actually being there in the stands. Wait, so hold on. So you were just surrounded by a bunch of Georgia people? Yeah, it was probably... And I was probably... I, I was going to get into this later in the podcast, but you you brought it up. So yeah, it, it was probably 75-25 Georgia fans there. Uh, it was basically a home game for Georgia. And, and yes, I was I was surrounded mostly by, by Georgia fans. And by mostly, I mean 95% Georgia fans. There was about... There was a group. Uh, there was a group of two Sooner fans directly to the left of me, and there were about four or five Sooner fans, a couple of rows in front of me, and those were the only ones that I could see anywhere around me. Interesting. Well, I'm sure you'll have some thoughts on certain moments in the game and how you and the crowd react, things like that. But, uh, and we'll get into those. But you and I, we're going to go over every aspect of this game. You know, who deserves blame for the loss? Was that squib kick before halftime the worst squib kick in the history of football? Plus, I've got a stat that I, I found about the Oklahoma defense that's going to make you sick. That and so much more is coming up in the show. But first, I want to thank you all for listening to West of Everest on iTunes and SoundCloud. If you have not yet, please leave a rating or a review and or a review. We really appreciate the f- feedback that we get. And re- also really appreciate those who have already provided the feedback. If you want to ask us a question or provide a comment... Email the show, westofeverest at gmail.com. Or you can tweet at me or Grant. I'm at Lee Benson News 9 and Grant's at Grant Benson 25. Go ahead and follow us on Twitter for West of Everest updates and just also our tweets in general. I'm sure uh, you know some of them are good. Also, I want to add that with OU football season now coming to a close, unfortunately, Grant and I are curious if you all want us to start talking a little Oklahoma basketball. Trey Young and the Sooners are making this Rose Bowl loss slightly less terrible. Oh, you may be a final four team out of nowhere. So if you've got basketball thoughts, let us know, email or tweet at us. All right. So back to the Rose Bowl. And I want to start with the very basic question, Grant. Who deserves the blame for this loss? What do you think and why? A very basic question that I don't know if I have a basic answer for, Lee, because it's it's really honestly hard to, you know, it's it's really hard to answer. And so I will I will add a little caveat to my answer here. If you're talking about the overall game and the real reason why they probably lost, it's because they gave up 317 yards rushing and if you take away the sacks, they gave up over 10 yards per carry. That's why they lost the game. If you want to go kind of more on a on a macro or micro level, you could say, you know, well the defense did put the offense in and some positions to win the game they did OU had was in the position to win this game numerous times on on New Year's Day and the defense came up with some big stops and in the moments and some moments where they really needed to and in moments this year where the offense usually salted the game away they weren't able to so if you want to look at it that way it would be the offense's fault but if you will if you, if you want to look at it from the entire angle of the game it was because they they gave up damn near 11 yards per carry if you if you take away sack yards, that's why they lost. See, and I'm glad that that you have that thought because I don't think it's as as gray as that. I think the 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 majority of the blame lies on the Oklahoma offense because coming into the game, we all knew the Oklahoma defense is not good, and yeah, they gave up a lot of yards per rush and they couldn't really stop Georgia. But was anybody really surprised by that? No, no, it wasn't. And the the main the main like I guess point of why this was on the offense is because if you would have told all of us going into the game that by halftime and we'll get to the squib kick 
but take the squib kick out, okay? Let's go to 29 minutes and 54 seconds into this game. Oklahoma had just scored to make it 31 to 14. If you would have told all of us that basically at halftime, Oklahoma would have only allowed two touchdowns to Georgia and put up 31 points, everyone would have been like, that's fantastic. This game is over because Oklahoma with a two-touchdown lead and it could have been a three-score lead with that offense, getting the ball also to start the third quarter, you can't lose that game. The defense has already done its job for the most part, and the defense, again, did not play very well at times, I mean, for most of the game. But the fact that the defense only allowed two touchdowns in the first half and Oklahoma's getting the ball to start the third quarter, and then, of course, going later in the game when they had the chance to ice it away, and, and, and we'll get to that more and more as we go on in the show. I think it's it's clearly an offensive problem because that's what we wanted as Oklahoma supporters. We wanted the offense with the football with a chance to win the game. Oklahoma had two chances late in the game to do that, to win the game, and the offense couldn't do it. It was weird. It was bizarre, and it was something that we could never have envisioned in this game. Yeah, I, I guess, you know, I... I fundamentally disagree with you. I'm not going to put the blame on the offense. I think if you score, you know, if you score 45 points in regulation for for a school like Oklahoma, and I know it's a cliched argument, you've heard it forever, but I do believe it. If you score 45 points in a game like this and you're Oklahoma, you should win that 100% of the time. I find it completely unacceptable how awful the defense was on on New Year's Day, and I, you know, and I I was the one I. I you know, I, I was the one who who sort of called it right. I, I thought that if Georgia was going to win a game, it, win the game, it was going to be in a game like this. Maybe not as high scoring as it ended up being, but definitely high scoring like this. Definitely would have had to been played into the forties. And and I just I had zero confidence Lee in OU being able to consistently slow down. And and you know what? I, I think you're going to have some numbers and you're going to have some arguments later in the show to maybe combat what I'm saying, but. It's it's hard for me to look at these stats any other way, Lee. Like I, they averaged, you know, three hundred and seventeen yards rushing on thirty four carries. I mean, that's Lee. That's getting absolutely just run off the field on the ground, completely. Well, and here's and and here's the stat, you know, and and I I tease the the, the stat that's going to make you sick, and it's not really a stat that's going to defend the defense. Really, it's more just like it shows that one basically two to four plays decide the game which is just sickening because the big play killed Oklahoma's defense which Oklahoma had been so good in the last month well the last month of games in pretty much preventing big plays they'd kind of it seemed like they had figured that out you know because early in the year Oklahoma gave up a ton of big plays so here's the numbers that I saw in the second half okay this is after of course it was Georgia had scored 17 points in the second half there were 17 rushes in the second half just out of basic for Georgia's offense out of just like basic Jake Fromm handing the ball to one of the running backs okay and there were two rushes out of the wild dog which no need to delay that there's two times that Georgia ran the wild dog they scored two touchdowns and what did I say going in I was definitely afraid of the wild dog I'm shocked that Georgia didn't do it more because they were 100% in scoring touchdowns in that game they could have done it more and probably ran Oklahoma even more off the field so Oklahoma dodged a bullet that they only did it at the very end of the game. But point being, 17 rushes in the second half. This is not including overtime. I'm not including overtime. Actually, yeah, I am. I am including overtime. I take that back. 17 rushes 
after halftime. Okay, two of those rushes, one was a 38-yard touchdown run and a 50-yard touchdown run. Two massive plays, right? One was Nick Chubb, one was Sony Michelle. You take those two touchdown runs away, two massive plays. Like, you can't, can't defend it, like, can't give that up. Terrible. Take those two away. 15 carries, only 26 yards for Georgia, 1.7 yards per rush. That's that makes me sick because that means you take away those two, just make a tackle, don't have don't give us such a big play. And Georgia couldn't run the ball. They couldn't. Which oh. is it's it, isn't that nuts though? Because like it looked it seemed like they could, but I I, I know you're gonna say, but they did. They had the big plays. I get that. But the fact that fifteen other times were just basic run plays, Oklahoma held them to twenty six total yards rushing. That's just don't give up the big plays. I mean, I agree. Like, I understand what you're trying to say, but those those two runs still ha- they did they still happened, and it doesn't and they weren't able to stop them in that situation. And Lee, it's not like this is something that's new. This has been OU's mo all season long. This is what they do. They're on on, a, on an efficiency play by play basis. They are a slightly above average defense in terms of defensive success rate. They are. It's just those huge plays that have that have been their Achilles heel all season long. And it wasn't just against Georgia. They were giving up big plays against Tulane, Lee. So, like, I mean, it wasn't this – is, this is a total trend. It's something that has happened to OU all season long. And when it becomes a trend like this, it's not – it's not just something that happens out of nowhere, like big explosive plays usually are. They're usually random. These aren't random for OU. There is a schematic issue. There is a deep issue with the, with this defense. It, it doesn't happen as much this year unless that's the case. It's just frustrating because they had kind of lulled us into a sense of comfort because they had. It seemed like the defense had cleaned it up a bit in those late those late games. But uh, to be fair, uh, since the Oklahoma State game. Uh, but obviously, none of the offenses that Oklahoma had faced were as potent as the Georgia offense up until that Rose Bowl. Let's get to the squib kick. That's the next topic I want to talk about. What was it like for you in the stands when when that happened? Because I mean, Oklahoma just scored that that touchdown. Baker Mayfield just caught a touchdown pass. I'm sure you were going nuts. I mean, I was going nuts. I, I was at work. It was it was fun. It was great. And then, so can d- d- describe what would, that was like in the stadium. Well, in the stadium, I, I we were all just kind of excited. I, it had been a really fun first half. There's an OU fan sitting to the left of us, and we were just we, we were just kind of you know talking the entire time, and we, we were having fun. And I think I had made the comment before they went out there. I said, "Man, I sure hope they don't squib it here." And then, of course, 15 seconds later, he did. Um, I hate squib kicks. I absolutely hate them. They never work, like ever. I, I almost feel like they always. Uh, they always do exactly the opposite of what, of what you want them to do. And I think in this situation, it was literally the worst possible thing that could happen in that situation. The guy actually caught the ball. I mean, that's insane. Um, in that situation, I, I if you're going to squib it, I don't understand why you don't just kick it out of bounds, to be honest with you. I, I know the idea is you want them to field it and you want you know clock to come off. But there's just... I always feel like there's just so much risk involved there, and 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 obviously hindsight is twenty twenty. And I, I I just want to I want to get past the squib pick first because I know a lot of people have opinions on it. I and and really you could make the argument that you know because of the squib pick that was the reason they lost you know because they would have they would have been up by three it but they would have changed the outcome of the game in other ways. But anyway, I, I just want to show you just how how hectic it was in the stadium and and how just kind of crazy it was. 
I was I was sort of losing my mind after the squib kick because Georgia ran that little quick hitter play um, where they had to call a timeout with one second left. And there was just so much chaos in the stadium and everyone was talking about how it happened and, oh, what's Georgia going to do here? Um, I didn't notice at first uh, the the scoreboard was messed up. It said that Georgia had zero timeouts left. So I was losing my mind and my seat, Lee, because because obviously whoever whoever caught that pass at the end, I think it was Riley Ridley who or something who who caught it at the very end, right? And he, and he clearly didn't get out of bounds, and so I thought because it said zero timeouts left for Georgia, it didn't say that they had one left up up on the scoreboard. I thought because he clearly didn't get out of bounds, I was losing my mind because I thought the I thought the refs granted him out of bounds. And so that's oh, okay. yeah, that, that's what I was that's what I was up in arms about. And I didn't see that Georgia still had a timeout left until I, I watched the first half over again yesterday. And so I was actually gonna ask you about that and because I thought going into it, I was like, I can't believe no one's talking about this, how the Georgia guy obviously was still in bounds when he was out. Um, it's, it just, I just, it just, just kind of an interesting little anecdote there. It's how crazy it was in the stadium and no one, no one around, none of the Georgia fans around me knew either. They were confused also because they thought Georgia had no timeouts also. So I just wanted to just, just to highlight the confusion in the stadium and not really knowing at all what was going on. And I, I was, I was surprised they, they trotted out Blankenship there for that long field goal. You know, he had, he had missed that 48 yarder about an hour earlier in the first quarter and he was he was almost short on it, and so I, I thought it was kind of surprising that that they were going to let him kick the fifty five yarder. That place was really loud when he nailed it, and you could you could almost deep down, and I I could almost feel the momentum shifting. And I know in hindsight it's easy to say that now, but it it sort of felt like it that it, it in the stadium it did feel like an important moment in the game. Ooh, well. Yeah, it makes sense that you would have thought that Georgia had used up all their timeouts and Georgia fans because it seemed like Kirby Smart used up all of his timeouts previously when Oklahoma had the ball near the goal line and Kirby Smart was trying to figure out what Oklahoma was trying to do offensively. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a good point that you make about how that was a big play in the game because, yeah, it was a huge momentum shift. And Lincoln Riley was asked coming off the field about the squib kick and he said you know it just wasn't executed right he kicked it right to him that was the worst thing that could happen like like you said and you know I, I think it's important to acknowledge why Lincoln Riley did this I mean it's easy just to say just kick it deep I mean Austin Seibert always puts it out of the end zone it's always a touchback right and most for the most part sure but it's it was so annoying that of course of course literally the last time that Austin Seibert had kicked the ball in that game it wasn't a touchback. It was caught just outside the goal line, and Nicole Hardman almost broke it, broke it for a touchdown. I mean, and Georgia was called for a block in the back, and it got brought back. But just that, that was in Lincoln Riley's mind, I bet. The thought that we cannot give up a Nicole Hardman kickoff return touchdown here because Seibert didn't put it out of the back of the end zone the last time. He didn't think Seibert could do it again, and he didn't want to risk a kickoff return. And that's why he squibbed it. I think and that is. I think that is irrefutably correct. There's absolutely no way that you are incorrect about that. And I just wanted to make sure that that's put up because I I have not heard heard that brought up one time about the last time Cyber kicked it. It wasn't a touchback. Cyber's been great with touchbacks all year. He was great in, in the Rose Bowl. He had a lot of touchbacks. But the previous time he kicked, it wasn't a touchback. So that was in Lincoln Riley's mind. There's no doubt about it. And it ended up just backfiring big time for Oklahoma 
and I and part of me too to to move it forward. I was thinking, well, why not just kick the ball out of bounds if you're Oklahoma? Why not just kick it out of bounds and make them take it at the forty yard line or the thirty five, wherever they take it in college? And I thought about it. Well, you know what? Maybe there's a rule that if you kick it out of bounds, the receiving team doesn't actually have to take the ball. They can make you re-kick it. And so I looked it up. Sure enough, Georgia could have made them re-kick it if they if they kicked it out of bounds, which that's what Georgia would have done. I'm sure. I mean, they would have said, "Okay, fine, kick it again." Now we're gonna now either you're gonna squib it or you're gonna kick it, and it's not gonna go in the end zone. We're gonna have a nice return here because our special teams is better than yours. So kicking the ball out of bounds wasn't an option either. So that was just the worst thing i mean aside from allowing a kickoff return touchdown that was the second worst thing that could have happened and it was just at a terrible time and it's almost like why couldn't oklahoma's touchdown have come obviously with triple zeros on the clock last play of the half but obviously oklahoma would have probably kicked a field goal there instead of gone for a touchdown if it was like the last play of the half so it was just such a killer and it it clearly affected the guys coming out of the locker room because they looked dead starting the third quarter. Is that what you saw? Oh, I I don't know about that. If they if it if it really affected them that much. I mean, they were still up by two touchdowns. I think in retrospect, the best obviously this is in retrospect. The best way to handle that situation would have been to pooch kick it, like kick it up really high in the air around the twenty yard line and make a make an up man catch it. That probably would have been the best the best thing to do in that situation. In fact, I think I, I see a lot. I see a lot more teams kind of doing that more instead of pooch kicks now, which I think is a lot a lot smarter. Yeah. Um, yeah but you know, good. yeah, that that's all. But you know, that's that's after the fact. It's really easy to say that now. And um, I, I think I think you're right on is that that Lincoln Riley was certainly just scared of Mecole Hardman breaking one loose because he almost did. You know, the the previous kickoff, and also Austin Seibert was kicking in was kicking into the wind there. That probably had something to do with it. It wasn't a very, um, it, it wasn't, it was only about a five to 10 mile an hour wind. So it like wasn't gusting or anything like that, but he was kicking into the wind. So that probably went into Lincoln Riley's calculus as well. Just, it, it just, it, it was a situation that just kind of sucked. And it, it really did feel like something sort of changed after that play. But maybe I'm saying that now in retrospect, because at, at halftime, you know, we were coming off of OU scoring a touchdown on four of their six drives and scoring on five of their first six drives in the first half. And I was thinking, I have no reason to believe that OU is not going to come out and just score easily again. And so I think that's what most OU fans were, were thinking. And it's, it really is a shame that that, that that had such a huge effect on the game. I remember Lee going into, and maybe I'm getting a little ahead of myself now, I remember, you know, when we kind of when we ended last week's podcast, the preview show, I had made kind of towards the end, we, we had broken down the special teams a little bit. And I think you and I had both decided that Georgia had pretty had, had the decided edge in special teams. And I think my last comment on it was, well, I hope it doesn't come down to this. And that's, that's it, exactly what the game came down to at the very end with special teams. Isn't it just kind of funny how it works out that way? Yeah. And just, it's, it's just to kind of wrap the, wrap up the squib kick talk i mean maybe at, at some point oklahoma needs to really put some emphasis into special teams not just kicking and punting but like the return game and just because just doing something differently i mean and that affected the second half where georgia was kicking the ball to the one yard line and oklahoma just kept getting terrible field position to start the second half uh, to start possessions in the second half uh before we get to the second half though let's let's rewind let's get some positive vibes going let's talk about that first half because we've totally skipped over it you just mentioned a second ago all the times oklahoma scored 
OU scoring on five of six first half possessions and Oklahoma averaging nine yards per play in the first half. Just, I mean, more than half a yard more than Oklahoma normally averages just through the year uh, on the year and pretty much double what Georgia allowed this season on average yards per play. I mean, the offense was was a treat to watch and I'm not going to sit there and say I thought Oklahoma would score on five of its six first half possessions against Georgia. It, it, it was like it was basically like the TCU game, the first TCU game in a way. I mean, Oklahoma dominated and I told you, I I thought Oklahoma's offense would have success against that Georgia defense. And it's annoying to me that when we were handicapping this game last week, you know, you weren't you weren't feeling it. You you thought Georgia had the edge. And you thought Georgia was going to win. I told you that Oklahoma was going to win comfortably. And after one half of play, I told you. But the annoying thing is, is that you were right as well. Because after halftime, then we started to see Georgia's side of it. And the it's super annoying to me that both sides of people who predicted this game and who had thoughts on this game, in a way, both sides were correct. Because we saw each team at its very best, it seemed like. And in the end, of course, you know Georgia won in overtime. But anyways, back to the first half. What I mean, what was it like being in the stands there watching Oklahoma's offense in the first half? It was awesome. It, it was, and it was even better being surrounded by ninety-five percent Georgia fans. They were stunned. They were absolutely stunned that they were being taken to the woodshed, and it was it was very satisfying to see. And so, in my wildest dreams, that was about as good as I I expected that first half to you know to play out. And I and. I think I had said during the preview podcast, Lee, was that if, you know, best case scenario for OU on offense in this game would look a whole hell of a lot like first half against in in that first TCU game. And really it was, it it was exactly the same Um, outside of OU just had one less possession. So against TCU, Lee, they scored on six, uh, six of seven of their first half possessions, five touchdowns and a field goal. And against Georgia, they scored on five of six of their first half possessions, four touchdowns and a field goal. If you remember also in that TCU game, Lee, TCU moved the ball pretty well on offense in that first half, uh, but OU made some plays, TCU turned it over a couple times, and they only, they had, I think they only scored 13 or 14 points in the first half, and then, you know, kind of, uh, sort of the same script for OU's offense starting the third quarter, too. They they really, it seemed like they, they kind of went into that salt, salt away the game mode, and, and they really stalled out, um, except the only problem was Georgia's, Georgia's Georgia's offense kicked it into another gear, it seemed like, and um, and Oklahoma's defense did not respond particularly well, or at least as well as they did against TCU in that game. But back to the first half, I mean, yeah, it was um, as... I just can't explain to you how, how, how satisfying it was to see them have that much success. And I knew just coming out on that very first drive, too, I think they scored... I think they only ran four plays, and they scored pretty much instantly. It just you know, hot knife through butter and looking around at all the Georgia's fans faces, just the look on their faces was, was very satisfying. They were completely, <laughs> they were completely stunned. They, they had no idea. And I, and another thing to say, the Georgia fans that I was all around, they were all pretty great. They're very passionate, but they're all very polite, did not talk really any crap at all. Um, which was which was nice. I think they were just really happy to be there, and they they were enjoying a, a great college football game, just like everyone else was. Um, but I, I was chatting with a few of them before kickoff, and I said, I said, you know, I I think you guys should be confident, but don't. I, I said, don't be too confident in your defense. I, I think I, I think this OU offense is really going to surprise you guys by by how good they are. And 
I think after I think after the Sooners went up twenty-one to seven, a guy I was sitting in front of he kind of taps me on the shoulder and he said, "Yeah, you're right. They're pretty insane." So it was, hmm. and that was nice to see. That, that was that was cool to see, and which which made, of course, just the third quarter and and a lot of just the second half in general that much that much harder to stomach. How about some plays from that first half? First touchdown pass to Marquise Brown. I mean, Mayfield kind of riding Rodney on the RPO and then pulling it and then finding Brown on the the out route. And if you watch that back, it's just it's so great how flat footed and unsure of themselves are the entire Georgia defense is because they don't know what's going on. They don't know if they're going to hand it to Rodney like they, they couldn't they couldn't be aggressive because they didn't know what to expect. And boom, there's Marquise Brown wide open. Another one. What an awesome play that was in the next time, uh, the next drive for Oklahoma. I don't know if you saw it well at the game, but I'm sure watching it back, you saw it like the backhanded handoff to Rodney Anderson. Did you yeah, see that play? Yeah, I saw that. They, they've run that. They've run that before this year. I don't remember seeing a hand, the handoff like that, where it's like back backwards, like sideways. Like yeah, but that. it was cool. It's kind of like sort of like a Statue of Liberty type type handoff. Right. Right. So I mean, and that was that was nice little wrinkle, um, and just the the tempo and. And this is going to be kind of a theme is Oklahoma, you know, we've seen them all this this year and and they can go tempo, but a lot of times they don't. They like to just kind of play it straight up and take their time. But they used a lot of tempo in that first half and they caught Georgia flat footed and it worked very, very well. And and on the second drive, on the second touchdown drive, uh, 14 yard touchdown run for Rodney Anderson. And I, I just again, I was watching the Georgia linebackers all flat footed at the snap because they're all guessing they're not attacking up trying to make plays against the run because they're worried about the play action and getting beat over the top because you know everything was working for Oklahoma and that's how Rodney Anderson was able to easily score in that 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 play and it's just the tempo was really getting to him and man it was just it was so fun to watch them like you said hot knife through butter on that on that opening drive I mean uh, I, you know, and, and then the third drive when you uh, after Rodney another touchdown and the guy tapped you on your shoulder and said man this offense is good I mean that was another long touchdown run I mean a 41 yard touchdown run I mean Georgia Georgia doesn't give up long touchdown runs they don't give up touchdowns much at all and and on that play it was great seeing CD Lamb blocking downfield I mean just a straight run play the offensive line just dominating Georgia at the point of attack nice vision for for Rodney Harrison and and he kind of followed behind Eric Grin I mean it was just everything was working for Oklahoma and and it was you know yeah, Georgia's really good, so you kind of had in your back of your mind, like, okay, they're going to figure it out at some point. But honestly, after another touchdown, another score, I didn't really think Georgia was going to figure it out until it was too late. Is that kind of the way you thought, too? Yeah, I mean, they were they were dominating the game on offense, Leah. They, there was, Georgia was really no... They were no match for them in the first half. It, it was it was really quite something to watch, and and I was rewatching it yesterday, and they looked great. And for for as great as they looked on TV, Lee, they looked they just looked that much more dominant in person. It, it's it's hard to even explain to you how easily they were scoring in that first half. I mean, it it, it really was something to watch, and, and I thought. I'm gonna I'm gonna just I'm gonna go do it again. Just the shock on the Georgia fans' faces when when their defense was on the field was really just awesome to watch because they they did not know what hit them and and I think that's that's what all of us secretly just so wanted to see so very badly and it actually happened and I think that's one of the reasons why this game stings so much because this this really is kind of your first really the first time 
in recent memory that I can think of in a game like this where the elite offense really came out and they it just seemed like they were just flat out better than the elite defense and that was I I know it, it was very uh it was very gratifying and you know for all of us who have watched this team all season long which just makes the second half that that much harder to watch Lee oh man well I'm trying to I'm going through my notes here and um well I'll how about this I'll, I'll I'll direct the discussion you know we we know they played really well in the first quarter maybe or in the first half we'll we'll maybe revisit that at some other time here's what I want to ask for you Lee because I'm, I'm I'll make I'm going to be honest with you with you and everyone listening I haven't had the heart to go back and watch the second half yet um that the game was it was a very interesting experience being there in person and just just so everyone watching Sony Michelle run it in at the end of the game and watching that blocked field goal that stung that that was that that was about as close to a a punch in the gut you know without it actually happening that I without it actually happening that I've ever experienced in my life that you know that really hurt it did and I, and I have I just haven't been able to go back and watch it again yet so I want to ask you Lee did you notice did was it more of what OU did in the second half or was it more of how Georgia or was it, was it more of what Georgia did in the second half? How, how did, how did OU's offense bog down in the third quarter? There was definitely some Georgia because Georgia for the most part played a lot more aggressive and played a lot more man and challenged their players to make Oklahoma make plays. But the reason why it was more Oklahoma is because Lincoln Riley and Baker Mayfield and company have done such a good job this year at seeing what the defense is giving them and then adjusting and changing and doing something differently and counteracting it. And Georgia, that's what they did. They manned up all throughout the the second half. They blitzed here and there. I know Baker Mayfield after the game, I think he said that they started blitzing more on first down, second down. I didn't. I didn't see a whole lot more blitzes. I mean, it, it may technically have been more, but it wasn't like they were doing it every single play. Uh, the offensive line started to break down a couple times. And let me preface this, I'm not an offensive line genius. Bill Biedenboe would be the guy to ask, but there's two plays late in the game that we'll get to that I just I have questions about the offensive line. I don't understand. I don't get it. But really, I'd say it's more on it's more on Oklahoma not being able to adjust to what Georgia was was giving them defensively. And also, too, I mean, Georgia played a lot better in the second half. Roquan Smith played a lot better. He just made some nice plays. And there was one play in the third quarter that I think is when things started kind of going awry and it really affected Baker Mayfield going forward. And it happened on the second drive for Oklahoma. And it came. It was the drive after Nick Chubb first play. just went 50 yards. And it was like, oh, my gosh. It's already a, just a touchdown lead now. Oklahoma got the ball at their own 16-yard line after a bad kickoff return, got the third down and three. And you can tell, C.D. Lamb to Mayfield's left, he's one-on-one with the cornerback. You can tell it's all man across the board. Roquan Smith is right up the middle. He's at the line. I mean, he's showing blitz. And at the snap, Roquan Smith does blitz. And it just, the whole middle opens up for him. And that spooks Baker Mayfield. And why wouldn't it? I mean, he's got Roquan Smith coming right into his face. And Rodney Anderson tries to slide in and try to pick him off a little bit. But but he can't really get much of a chip on him. And Baker has to get away. But then he's sacked. That changed, I think, a lot of things. Because 
I don't understand why Eric Wren, the center, directly in front of Roquan Smith, I, I don't know why he doesn't block Smith there. And I, I guess he thinks Drew Samia, the right guard, is going to slide to his left and block Roquan Smith, and Bobby Evans, the right tackle, is going to slide and block the defensive end. I mean, that, that's probably it. I, I'm guessing, like, I'm not, again, I'm not an expert on offensive line protections and blocking, and I don't know, maybe, maybe that's a Baker Mayfield thing. Maybe he's supposed to point that out. I don't know. Uh, but that costs Oklahoma because if that blitz is picked up, I think Baker just looks over to his left, hits CeeDee Lamb on a slam route. He was open. He was open on the slant, picks up the first down, and the, the drive keeps going, and Oklahoma keeps doing what they've been doing. But I think the first that was really the first time, really the second time, that he, that he had Roquan Smith in his face. And from then on out, I think he had it in the back of his mind, Baker Mayfield, George is coming. And it made him think about it a little bit too much going forward. And I think we saw some instances in the first half of his accuracy just not being what it normally is, which is a whole other thing that I wanted to get to. Remember, you know, one of the things that we couldn't predict, that we couldn't plan for in this game, was Baker Mayfield randomly kind of being off? Well, he was. I mean, he was off in that game. And you, you question, okay, well, was it just because Georgia was spooking him? And I, I think there was some of that, but mostly I he had some clean pockets, and he... he Missed some throws. And so I think you're probably, you know, you're wanting to ask more about the end of the game stuff, you know, what happened. But, well, but that, no, that's not really necessarily. What I I, I'm more interested in, especially for me. So, so one of the things that I noticed while watching the game, it, it's hard for me to get, a, get an idea of what formations they're throwing out there and what they're actually doing from where I was standing. It's a lot easier to see on TV. But the thing that I noticed, Lee, is, is how they, how they really went away from tempo and just the, the idea that I got, Lee, is that they really did at the end of that first half is they did go into salt the game away mode that they went into against TCU. And they were trying to do that against Georgia, which if you would have told me, you know, if you, if you would have told me they were up by two touchdowns against Georgia, you know, a week or so before the game going into the second half and that they were going to go into the, you know, TCU second half mode, I'd, I would have said then that's a huge mistake. You, you can't do that. And I it, 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 did some of that happen, Lee? Because because to me, what to me the reason why they started to get to Baker, it seemed like Georgia just kept just wholesale changes on the defensive line. They were substituting guys out every single time, and they were able to do that because OU was they were just they were going slow. They were doing their whole slow routine. It, did you see yeah, I'm that? I'm glad too? you brought that up. I'm glad you. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. No, that's exactly what happened. And, and you being at the game, you can see the, the substitutions better because there's no like cutaway shots, the tight shots of Kirby Smart and Rally. So like sometimes really watching TV, you couldn't really see all the changes they're making. So that's interesting that you bring that up because I didn't really notice that watching TV because you know once the play's over, they cut to all these tight shots and you can't really see people subbing. That's that's yeah, they they did not go tempo. And there was a time. You know, after that, when I was describing that Roquan Smith, when he got in Baker's face and they had to punt, that next drive for Georgia, the Sooners defense forced a three and out. I mean, Oklahoma's still up by a touchdown and their offense is looking like like garbage. Oklahoma's defense went out and forced a three and out and got and got the ball back to the Oklahoma offense. Now, Georgia punted it and downed it at the Oklahoma two yard line, which I didn't know this. This is a BS rule because the guy wouldn't down it. He had he had his body in the end zone while he was touching the ball, but apparently that's legal in college, which I think is a garbage rule. Like you should have to keep yourself out of the end zone if you're downing the football on a punt. Like that's that's dumb. Like that that takes not a whole lot of skill to just make sure that you the ball stops before it goes into the end zone. Anybody can do that. 
So that's a whole other, that's a sidebar, bad college rule. But on that drive, second down and long, Mayfield, for the first time on that, on, during the night, did that kind of fake pass to, to Anderson, who was kind of running out to the right from his running back spot. And then he countered left with that double pull with Mayfield running it, picked up the first down. Of course, Mayfield did that later in the game on that drive where Dimitri Flowers ended it with a touchdown. Then later in that drive, you'll you remember this, it was third and eight, and it was like, oh, man, the offense can't move it. Boom. They go to their bread and butter play, double pull counter play. Rodney Anderson picks up 25 yards on third and eight. I mean, just stuns Georgia. This is where Oklahoma needed to have some sort of tempo planned to go. Go, 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 go. And they didn't. They yeah, just, they, they should have because, because they would have had their a nickel package on the field. They should have had a tempo run play there because that's what they, they were killing Georgia with tempo run and the, they, they were killing Georgia with tempo everything in the first half. And now I'm just now I'm just kind of getting upset now that you kind of confirmed to me that they and, and I know they went away from tempo in the second half. But and and now, Lee, now that I think about this, I don't know why this surprises us. This has been Lincoln Riley's M.O. all season long. Uh, that this happened against Texas. They went into to shell. Uh, they went into shell, kill the clock mode against Texas, and they blew a twenty point lead. Uh, they did it against who else? They do it. They did it against other teams this year too. Anyone else off the top of your head? Well, I mean, Baylor. If, if, yeah, I mean, if if you're gonna make the point, and and this is, I was gonna bring this up. Uh, Barry Trammell in the Oklahoma had a nice column, and he pointed this out that I, you know, it's obvious, but I hadn't thought of it. Yeah, I mean, Oklahoma, they've blown big leads before this year. Baylor, Iowa State. Texas. I mean, I guess if kind of Oklahoma State. Oh, thank you. Really. Iowa State. Yeah, Iowa State. They went in to kill the clock mode in the, the second quarter of that game. Mm-hmm. I mean, so, I mean, Oklahoma has has blown big leads. They haven't really blown a big lead since that Texas game, but it's happened before. And I, I guess if, if TCU's offense was better, you know, maybe they would have blown that game against TCU. At least not blown the game, but blown the lead. But TCU's offense just isn't quite up to up the, the same level as Georgia, so Oklahoma's defense was able to kind of hold them down, and so that that style of offense worked in that second half and really both games. So, yeah, and guess what happened? On the, the one touchdown drive of the offense in the second half, what happened? They they went back to tempo on that drive. They went quick. And, and I mean, it, it was aided by a really nice play by C.D. Lamb. Baker made him uh, – Baker threw the ball up and let C.D. Lamb go make a play, which – we both talked about that going into this game. At some time, at times, I mean, you have talented players; you got to make plays. Because Georgia's good too, and that was a situation where Ceedee Lamb went up and made like a thirty-yard catch against a defender playing pretty good coverage, and they kept going, going, going. Baker Mayfield had a had a, had a nice keeper on the counter play and picked a bunch of yards, and then he had a fantastic play on the touchdown pass to Dimitri Flowers as he extended the play, got outside the pocket, and found Flowers in the back of the end zone. On that drive, they went back to tempo for the first time in the entire second half. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it's, I mean it is, and I, I just, and so this is where I get frustrated, and I, I just, I, I don't think that you can play like that, and I, and, and I know if if we if we sat down one on one with Lincoln Riley, he'd probably tell us he's trying to protect his defense. That's probably what he's doing, and you know what, Tiz, I guess it, to his credit, that's I mean, a good point. To his cre- point. to his credit, I mean, OU has the second half of the season they've done that all year, and they've been really successful doing it. And I, I just think it's I, I think there's a little bit, you know, there's maybe a little bit of hubris related here. If, if, if they thought they could do the same thing against Georgia, they couldn't do it against TCU. Why would they be able to do it against Georgia? You know what I mean? So I it's 
it, it just bugs mm-hmm. me. And, and I and I wish they would have come out in that second half with more of a more of a killer instinct, thinking, "Hey, no, we need to put this game out of reach. We have an opportunity here to, you know." to maybe effectively end this game or at least put Georgia really behind the eight ball of what they want to do. Lee, Georgia couldn't really do anything in terms of completing, you know, deep passes in this game. Everything everything was underneath. Everything was catch and run. They couldn't complete anything over top of the defense at all. I, you know, I, I'd like to think they probably wouldn't be able to do it down by 21 points either, but still, I mean, all of that is, is all hypotheticals now. We don't know. All we know is, is what happened. It, it, it is frustrating. I really wish... You know, I I wish Lincoln Riley would have a little more of an idea of what he wants to do with this kill the clock mode. I, I wish he would he would have a rule. It's like he's only in kill the clock mode if they're up by at least three possessions or something like that. And as soon as they're as soon as it's under that, then they go right back into just trying to step on your throat mode again. I I, I just I, I think stuff like that would be better served. Well, there's the thing. I mean, now we're we're kind of we're inching along towards the end of the game, Oklahoma. They get that touchdown after going tempo. Defense comes back onto the field. It's tied at 38. And what does the defense do? <laughs> the defense gets a scoop and score. <laughs> Caleb Kelly comes up, hits Sony Michelle, right <laughs> with his helmet on the ball. Stephen Parker makes an incredibly athletic play, scooping that up, making a guy miss and going to the end zone. And at that point, talk about momentum, man. I mean, it is absolutely shifted obviously back to crimson and cream i mean what where were you like where were you sitting i mean was that like describe that play it was absolute pandemonium population grant i i don't i don't even know i, I don't know what was going on with anyone around me i don't i couldn't even hear the o, the ou big ou section on the other side of the field uh yelling or reacting all i heard was grant screaming and losing his mind and the the only i mean after that play lee the only thing i could think of was Sooner magic. I, that's what I thought. I was like, I, I can't believe that just happened. The what, like, uh, the absolute best possible thing that could have happened in that situation just happened. And you know, geez, five minutes before that, before OU had tied the game, uh, in my head I was thinking, I Georgia has dominated this third quarter. They've dominated the second half. I mean, this is trending towards Georgia really just kind of pulling away. And mm-hmm. and that happened in my head. I was thinking, that's it. I mean, just, just like that, you know, of course they, you know, the Sooners have the six play 88 yard drive in like two minutes, just like that. And then four plays later, this happens. And I was absolutely losing my mind. I didn't even know who it was at first. I I thought it was Parnell Motley at first because I I couldn't really see. I was just losing my mind so much. Um, (laughs) And, and really there, there I I did. I, I personally thought, that that was it. I, I thought the Sooners were, were going to score on offense next, and I thought they were going to end the game. And I'm 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 very disappointed with how they came out after that, uh, especially after the defense got a three and out. After that, I lost my mind when the defense got the three and out. Absolutely lost my mind because I thought the game was over. And I think I I, I bet a lot of Sooner fans probably did too. What about you, Lee? See, and that's that's the main point. That's the final argument when you want to talk about defense versus offense in this game because that's that's the point is that Oklahoma like I said in the opening take 50 minutes ago at the start of this podcast with five minutes to go in the game Oklahoma had the football with the lead and all he needed was a couple first downs I mean that's the dream scenario and this is where it was just it was crazy man it was just 
nobody saw this coming. I mean, again, the previous time Oklahoma had the football before this, they scored a touchdown. So the offense was back, baby. It wasn't it wasn't stalling again. I mean, the tempo had worked. Now they time to go kill the clock, win the game. Yeah, Leah, a couple things I would have done differently, or maybe just one thing I would do differently. I know Rodney Anderson started that drive with the little five-yard run up the middle. I think that was on the, the, the counter pull play, which is their bread-and-butter run play. Me on on that drive, Lee, and I, and obviously this is not how Lincoln Riley was thinking in these situations. He he was he was definitely in salt the clock mode, just win the game by by salting the clock on this drive mode, like they had done so many times this year. What I would have done, Lee, is I I would have I would have thrown it deep, very first play or or the second play right after that Rodney Anderson run. I would have I would have ran the exact I would have gone hurry up, run the exact same. Uh, play with counter except I would have kept it and I would have I would have moved Baker out of the pocket and I would have I would have ran that same play that Jeff Bidette scored on against Texas I, I would have just I would have tried my shot right there I would have gone deep and they didn't boy that would have been that'd been a heck of a call that's, that's, a heck of that's a call. what I would have done I would have, I would have in my head I I know what Lincoln Riley is thinking. He's thinking I have to protect my defense and I have to salt the game away right now with my run game, which has has been a huge asset all season long. What what head coach Grant would have done, I would have said, screw that, I'm in the game right freaking now. I'm gonna score. And the one thing though that the reason why you know, who knows, maybe that wasn't his head, but it, I mean you're out you're out there. I mean, you you saw the whole field and Georgia the entire second half, they had a deep safety out there playing way deep. And Kirby Smart was saying, do not get beat deep, do not give up big plays. Is that what you saw? Did you see that alignment of yeah. their deep safety every time? Yeah, I did notice. They, they were playing they were playing cover one robber in the second half. And that's how like. I mean, and that's how they got that pick on Mayfield, is that guy was playing like 20, 25 yards off the ball. It was insane. I mean, they There's, were not going to let somebody get deep. Uh, th- th- man, there's there's ways to combat that. You 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 have to send multiple guys, and he he would have to yep. choose who to cover. Exactly, exactly. And, and that's we didn't we didn't see any of that in this game. And I don't know if it's because maybe Lincoln Riley thought that Oklahoma would not have enough time to have these routes. Uh, I guess uh, formulate like they did against TCU, or if it just didn't seem like that was part of the game plan. But that's a go back to what we talked. I talked about you know 30, 20 minutes ago about adjusting to what the defense was giving giving you and you know that's what Georgia did all the second half they always had that deep safety and Oklahoma was never really able to create a play where they could make that guy uncomfortable and have to make a decision and really Lee what it seemed like it seemed like what their kind of what their ace in the hole was to combat all of that man coverage and and maybe the the enhanced pressure that Georgia was putting on Baker Mayfield in the second half it did seem like their plan was to throw those little those little flare passes those little uh, just going east and west type stuff that against man coverage against a fast defense just doesn't work. It, it never does. And, and I'm, I I know that uh, uh, that stuff has worked this year a lot because you have really athletic guys, fast guys on the edge, just making plays. I always thought that was going to be a lot harder going east and west against this Georgia defense. I I, I always thought, and, and I'd I'd harped on it for weeks leading up to the game that they were going to have the most success just going right after him, right up the middle. And I mean, running the ball, that's, they did. That's where they had most of their success. And uh, mm-hmm. it, it was, it was disappointing, especially in the second half to see them go East and West so much. Cause they didn't do that really at all in the first half. No, no, they didn't. And, and uh, you know, instead of running the Jeff Bidette 
against Texas play on second and five. They went out in the diamond formation. And it was a really weird play. I mean, they they faked it to Anderson, and it was like an RPO. Like Mayfield had rolled out to his right, like he was going to pass it to Mark Andrews, who was part of the diamond formation. But it was man coverage. So, like, every Georgia guy had a guy, including Mark Andrews, and so there was just nowhere to go with the football, and so Baker had to just keep it, and he, he went down and bounds, and he gained two yards. Okay, okay, but the thing is, yeah, that was whatever play. You know, it's it's still third and three. Third and three is, is, is doable. And then this is where we get to the point where it's just like, what's going on, man? Because they come out and run a, an option play to Rodney Anderson to the short side of the field, which you and I both never understand that. And I, I, I think the idea behind that is going to the short side of the field. They think it's since it's like to the weak side of the play. So they have like a, you know, a, an advantage of blockers or something like that. Maybe maybe that's why. But the thing with that play is if Bobby Evans and Drew Samia both blocked the men across from them, that play would have had a chance. But again, like I said earlier, I'm not an offensive lineman protection expert. I'm not sure who this who this was on, who this play was on. But both of those guys block inside and let their men basically just get by them and at that point the play was over because it's two on two Georgia versus Mayfield and Rodney Anderson and obviously Georgia can tackle it's their it's their linebacker and lineman and I mean you got Marquise Brown split out right taking his taking his cornerback all the way down the field because it's man coverage and so he's running a route and so he's making it look like it's a pass play so that whole that whole area has been vacated so if if Anderson would have been able to get the edge, I mean, he'd have been able to run for days, potentially. So if, if Oklahoma's right guard and right tackle block the guys in front of them on that play, Grant, I think Oklahoma picks up huge yardage, and the game might be over. And, like, I, I don't understand. Like, I don't understand the play, because I'd really like an explanation as to why Samia and why Evans blocked the way they did on this play, because Eric Wren, the center, blocked the guy in front of him. And, in fact, if they would have just ran this play to the wide side of the field, it would have worked pretty well because Mark Andrews, Orlando Brown and Ben Powers all had George's guys blocked on the backside easily. And like they had it, they had the edge set. It was my, crazy. My guess with that is I, I, one of Samia or Evans had to have made a mistake there because that was an option play and somebody has to be on Baker there. So they're, they're trying to stretch a defensive player to be on Baker and have him make a decision. I, in that situation, I don't know if they're ever they ever want two guys making a decision. You know what I mean? So it's like they, they have to, they have to have leave a guy out there to either, you know, take Baker or take the running back or whoever he's going to pitch it to. So I, I'd be interested to see what the, what the call on that play was. I, I didn't get to see a good look of it. I just saw, you know, I just saw what I saw. So well, I'm just saying when you go back, if you have the stomach to go back and watch and you go to that play, you'll see that basically it's, it's Samia and Ben powers. Was it uh, Samia and Evans? And it's like it's those two guys, obviously to the to the right of Eric Wren. And there's two Georgia players, basically like there's one guy on the line, one guy off the line because they're they run a three four. And it's just like basically head up two. I mean, they're they're little like they're not head up on each other. Like one is kind of off the side, but like it's obviously like if they were if they were to just block the guy closest to them, then that play would have been successful. But they both just like blocked inside and let both those players get up field. It's almost like there was a miscommunication, like. They thought the play was going to the left instead of the right, almost. Like it's because like maybe. it was blocked very well on the left side. <laughs> well, yeah, it's disappointing, and maybe maybe that'll be something that we get more clarification on later. But yeah, it's just just a weird series, and I 
I, I really wish they would have been more aggressive. Very rarely ever runs in a incredibly huge moment, and they run a play like that. And I get it; like they wanted to catch Georgia off guard, sure. But that goes back to Lincoln Riley kind of losing confidence in his abilities and not just sticking with what he knows and what has gotten him there. And he tried to outsmart Georgia as opposed to just beat Georgia because yeah. Oklahoma's got a damn good offensive line, and they proved it. Yeah, so, I, I really wish they would have. I, I that would have been a good moment for for Dimitri Flowers RPO, uh, you know, anything like that. I mean, that would have been a good moment. It's almost for, like he didn't want Baker to have to throw the ball down the field, which is just a crazy thought because he's the best quarterback in college football. Isn't that weird? I wonder if he was hurt. Like seriously, did he get hurt at all during the game? Well, there was that play where I can't. I think it was in the third quarter. Like he was scrambling, and a guy just put his knee into his lower back and they didn't call a flag. And I think Lincoln Riley, they brought it up on the TV broadcast. Lincoln Riley was mad. They, they should have been a late hit. It was like on a third down play. So to give an Oklahoma a free first down. And if you watch the replay, I, I guess they said that, Oh, the guy was pushed from behind. So that's like why, like it wasn't like intentional, but if you watch the replay, yeah, I get it. It's slow motion. It's easy to see, but the guy was not really pushed. He was obviously trying to like put his, his knee into Baker's back because, you know, get an extra hit on the quarterback. Why not? Which is, I mean, it's just whatever. Like, I, I will say the officials didn't even really notice them in that game, which I, I appreciated that. I mean, Oklahoma technically, I think, didn't even have one penalty because the one thing they were flagged for, Georgia declined it. So, I mean, Oklahoma, it was a pretty much a penalty-free game. They had but, the yeah. one, they, they had the pass interference down at the goal oh, yeah, line yeah, right, right before okay. right before yeah. Georgia tied it at 45. Yeah, the PI on Norwood. Yeah, the so, PI on Norwood. You know, I... I just an interesting game, and I don't know if you want to talk about that that little small drive they had with 55 seconds left. I th- I thought they had three timeouts; they had plenty of time. I don't know why they didn't push the ball down the field more. It just just a weird game. They they really went against a lot of their. I I don't understand how, why they weren't super aggressive in that situation. If I mean if you if you know what if Baker throws a pick, then whatever. It's your Heisman Trophy winner. That that's what my attitude would be there. I if if you're gonna go down, I would like to go down with Baker Mayfield throwing as many haymakers as possible and so I think that's I think that's why a lot of us are very frustrated and and are just just really still feel the sting of this game Lee I don't know I mean do you want to talk about overtime at all I well I want to talk I mean I want to talk about it all man I you do that that 55 second drive yeah I got I want to talk about that too because I got plenty on that because it came after obviously Oklahoma gives up gives up the touchdown and they get the ball at the 25 55 seconds left well, they have all their timeouts, I believe. They had all three, three timeouts, all three timeouts. So, to be, Sooners probably needed to get to the 33-yard line to give Cybert a legitimate chance to kick a game-winning field goal. So, that'd be like a 50-yarder, okay? I mean, he's, I don't think he's ever hit a 50-yarder, if I'm correct. He had like a 55-yarder against uh, West Virginia at the end of the half. Okay, yeah, yeah, that big one. Everyone acted like the game was over. So, okay, so maybe even like the 35-yard line, okay, to give them a legit shot to win the game. Okay, so that meant that Oklahoma needed 40 yards, 40 yards in 55 seconds with three timeouts. I mean, that's obviously doable. So first down play, nice quick pass to Marquise Brown, who picks up 12 yards in a first down. So Oklahoma now needs now needs uh, like 28 yards in 46 seconds. I mean, it's even nicer. On first down, they go back to Brown on a hitch route near the sidelines, and I couldn't tell on the really close. They didn't, they didn't show replay. It looks like Brown dropped it. I, I maybe DeAndre Baker got a hand in and knock it away at the last second. 
But that would have been a nine-yard gain. He got out of bounds. Instead of, instead of it being second and a one from the 46, it was second and 10 from the 37 with 38 seconds left. But this goes to talking about Oklahoma's defense a bit. Press coverage on Marquise Brown by DeAndre Baker. And that, that made it to where Oklahoma had to have perfect timing to make the play. And maybe that added to Brown. I, I think it looked like he kind of dropped it. If he's playing 10 yards back and giving Brown a bunch of cushion, maybe it's an easy pitch and catch. I mean, that's the difference between Oklahoma's secondary and Georgia's secondary in that game. So there's that. Down second down, second and 10, they do the double pull counter to the weak side of the field. Play's been working well all night long. Anderson gets eight yards on the play. Timeout. On this play, though, if you go back and watch it, I know you haven't watched it yet. I wish Oklahoma would have had CeeDee Lamb on the play side instead of Marquise Brown because Lamb, of course, is a much better blocker, one of the best blocking receivers in college football already as a freshman. And he always, in this game, really selled out like he was going for a pass play. And that takes the cornerback out of the play even more. And then CD can just block him down the field after the cornerback is you know kind of flat-footed. But on this play, though, DeAndre Baker makes the tackle. And I think it's because Brown, Marquise Brown, does a poor job of selling like he's running a route, poor job of blocking. He kind of was kind of kind of half kind of half uh you know he was kind of lazy on the play and and I think if Lamb was blocking there Anderson would have been able to get the first down and maybe get out of bounds with like 25 seconds left could have been first and 10 from the 50 still with all their timeouts left but instead it was third and two from their own 45 so that I mean I know I'm I'm really diving in like super detailed but when it comes to the last game of the year and it's it's for the championship I think it's important to do that I mean it makes it it's fun and and this is this is where we get to our final. I know I haven't talked about like the entire game to me. Baker Mayfield seemed a bit off with his accuracy, and this was kind of the final. Like Mayfield is just like weirdly off throwing the ball because on third and two, Anderson runs a wheel route against man coverage against Roquan Smith, and he's got Smith beaten by a step, and Mayfield just throws it too far. And I mean, this is a high level catch by Rodney Anderson, a high level throw. You know, it, I, but if, if, but Anderson had such a fantastic game, I would have liked to see Baker throw it up a little higher and give him a chance to make the play against Roquan Smith because Anderson was in the zone, man. And we've seen him make that play. We've seen him catch that against TCU this year. And if he catches that ball, he gets to the Georgia 35 yard line at least. And they call the timeout. I mean, that's, that's potentially in Cybert's field goal range. Still with timeouts left, they could, decide to get closer or get to the middle of the field. I mean, but Baker just, he, he missed the throw and it was, it was the worst possible game for him to be slightly off on his passes. And I mean, he missed on the interception. There was a couple other balls that I didn't quite get to in this pod that he missed on too. It's just, that was, that was the final one where it was like, man, I mean, he makes that throw. We've seen him make that throw and he just, he didn't make it. And then went to overtime. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I don't know. What do you want to talk about in overtime? So I thought, obviously, OU's defense did a great job forcing a field goal, right? And I thought, in my head, I was thinking, awesome, they're about to win the game because I figured they would be really aggressive coming out, and that was not the case at all. They were not aggressive whatsoever coming out uh, on their first possession in overtime. Lee, what was going on there? Well, they, they hold the field goal, and yeah, and, and it's for the second time. Actually, I guess third time. I mean, if you want to count that 55-second drive where, I mean, a field goal would have needed it. But, I mean, now, legitimately for the second time in the last five game minutes, r- roughly, Oklahoma's offense had a chance to go win the game. 
And that's what you wanted as Oklahoma fan because Oklahoma's got the best unit in college football. They need a touchdown to win. And they start out with Marquise Brown motioning across the formation. They hand it off to, Bar- to, to Rodney Anderson for four yards. It wasn't the, the double counter pull play. It was just a regular straight handoff, four yards. Okay, four yards and first down is not bad. Then they do more motion. They do a little pop pass to Marquise Brown. Okay, four more yards. You know, third and two is not the worst thing ever. And then to the end of the play that that you know that everybody wants to, you know, to criticize and talk about. And and you know it's fair too. You know the jet sweep to Jordan Smallwood to the short side of the field. And I get it. I understand why Oklahoma ran it. They've ran it twice this year, three times I think maybe. I mean Ohio State just twice, right? Ohio State and Kansas. And he scored a touchdown on it. I may be misremembering one other time, but like both times they've ran this play, Oklahoma scored. But it's like Jordan Smallwood hasn't seen the field like all game. And you know Georgia watches film, so they probably saw it coming. I mean, they probably saw it coming. I mean, it's almost like, well, how awesome would it have been, Grant, if Oklahoma had like a different wrinkle with with that play because like Georgia that's, would have, oh. that's what I thought what was going to happen I thought they were going to have a really interesting wrinkle there and I thought when I saw Smallwood come in when I saw him come in I thought oh they're going to run this little formation and I thought they were going to have a new wrinkle on it and I thought they were I thought they were about to bust a big play and win the game I was excited and so when they actually just handed it off to Smallwood I that was pretty disappointing and so I you know and also I don't know if you want to get into it I thought um Maybe I, I haven't seen a lot of people talk about this. I don't know if I'm the only one. I hated the decision to kick the field goal there. I think they should have gone for it. Um I Yep. To to me I'm it, with you. To me it just signaled that they that they weren't playing to win. And I know they were playing to win. I know that I know they wanted to win the game. But some of the calls that they made didn't seem it just it, it, it seemed like Lincoln Riley went into a shell at times in that game. And, and I texted you afterwards and said, uh, one of the quick thoughts is Lincoln Riley abandoned his principles in this game. And how aggressive has he been all season long on fourth down? And I get this is different. This is the this is the Rose Bowl and the playoffs. But you can't go away from your principles. Principles are so important. They're so important. And especially after the fact that there was a timeout call and he had all this time to think about it. And I mean, real quick. Hats off to Austin Seibert. That was an incredibly clutch field goal. An incredibly clutch field goal. And he and he nailed it right down the middle. Biggest kick of his life. And, and you know, after having to stand around for as long as he had to stand around, and he still made it, that's big time. That was a big time kick. But it's almost like, you know, you fast forward to the next overtime. It's like, you can't, like, that's like his kick. Like, you, I, I would not think, there's no, like, I'm not going to send him out there again. Like, he did his job. Like, let's take, Let's take it away from him now. <laughs> like, let's not put this on Austin Cyber anymore. He did a great job. But, yeah, I'm with you. Like, it's fourth and one. You know that a touchdown wins the game. And Lincoln Riley was asked about this afterwards, and he said, well, I just didn't think it was worth the risk because, obviously, just a first down wouldn't have won the game. It would have just been a first down. As a, he, did, he did mention, too, if it was, like, fourth and one at fourth and goal at the one and, like, a, you know, a yard would have been a touchdown to win it, then he would, he would have gone for it. So he didn't think that the risk here because – a first down wasn't, you know, what the game wouldn't be over. It would just be a first down. He didn't, he didn't think it was worth the risk at that time, which I get it. But, man, what got you here? The offense, the offensive line. You had third and two. You had basically – he should have had – you know, it should have been four down territory. He's had two plays to get two yards. 
and he kicked. And, yeah. And that's that's when I wish, and maybe they used it in the first half. Like they got to have their money, that money play, Grant, that money two point play, where you know, no, it's gonna work. And they maybe they ran it at the end of the first half with Baker May, that you know the reverse pass to Baker Mayfield. I mean, that was a great play. But you got to have something else. You got to have at least two or three. Yeah, and I, they kicked I, it. I'm at that point now, Lee, where if it's third and two there in my head, I'm thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going for this. And if you and me personally, I would put the ball, it, I would put the ball in the hands of the Heisman Trophy winner, the best player in school history, I, and I would let him make a play. That's what I would do in that situation. But if you really do want to run the ball. I don't know how you don't go to your bread and butter run play in that situation and, and run behind uh, maybe the two best run blockers in the country, Powers and Brown. I, I, don't, I don't know how you don't do that in that situation with Rodney Anderson, a guy who had 200 yards rushing. And he was or, so or, good at shedding, like, in shedding tackles and like not going down on the first hit. And so I, that's, that's what I wish. If they were going to run the ball, I wish they just would have gone to the bread and butter play and not, not the gimmicky play with... With, with with Jordan Smallwood, and you know what they Lee they they did run a variation of that play against TCU in the Big Twelve Championship game, and they scored a touchdown on it. They, it was they did that with the they did the double play action, and then they threw it over the middle to Andrews, and you know that would have been better, I think, than than anything. But you know all of it is just I think it's just looking back, and I think it just kind of makes us sick. And I don't know. It, I mean. Do you have anything substantial to say after that? They it, it kind of seems like their next possession, it was a lot of just more of the same, uh, just being really careful and really, it kind of just seemed like they were scared of turning the ball over. Um, well, and then, and then I, I had a feeling, yeah. I, I, I knew, I, I had a bad feeling when they trotted Cybert out there. I, I, I just... I, I guess I thought he would miss it. I, I didn't really see the block coming, but I, I, I just had a bad feeling. Oh, once they tried to cyber it out, the game was over. I mean, the game was because there's the, the, the main thing is and you, you, I think you touched on it 10 minutes ago. I mean, the fact that Oklahoma's defense got a stop to begin overtime, holding held into a field goal. You're playing with house money at that point because there's no way you can count on that defense to get another stop. They had only there. Were only, there was one instance in this entire game where Oklahoma got back to back empty possessions for Georgia's offense. I think actually I think there was three straight. There was they they forced a punt and then they act, then it was the uh the fumble, the fumble return and then another so I think three straight possessions Oklahoma. But that was it. That was the only time that was a kind of like a you can't bank on that. So once they held to a field goal, that was Oklahoma's chance to win the game. And so oh, they should have once they got the ball back to start second overtime. I mean, you got to score a touchdown there. I mean, there's I'm not breaking any news and and they had they had so many chances, Grant. I mean, they had third and five. Georgia jumped off sides. They got a free play. They got a free play, and yeah, Mayfield threw a pick. It was a really it was it was a bad throw. He didn't even give didn't even give Marquise Brown a chance to catch it. He he didn't put any air underneath it. And I wish it was C.D. Lamb instead of Marquise Brown. But that's nitpicking. I mean, they had first and ten after the penalty, and then first and ten, they put Kyler Murray in, and they go with that same option play instead instead of with Kyler Murray instead of Rodney Anderson that they ran with third and two in the fourth quarter that didn't work where the, the guys didn't block the same thing happened this time I don't understand I don't, I don't understand putting Kyler Murray in as a running back when Rodney Anderson is a better running back I, I, I don't I don't understand that that was a that was a really I, I I think Lincoln Riley would concede that that was maybe not the place for that 
I mean, they had just gotten a free first down. And again, I go back to that fourth, the fourth quarter when they were trying to kill the clock. The last time we saw the double pull counter play was on first and 10 where Rodney got five yards, didn't see it again the rest of the game. I mean, how about a perfect opportunity for it right then? You get a free first down after a penalty, first and 10. Hey, why not? I mean, I know it's kind of an obvious play call, but you haven't ran it in like eight or nine plays. And they, they run the option to the short side of the field again. And the same thing happened where the tackle and the guard blocked to the left and let their guys go through. They run, they, it, to the sh- they run it to the short side of the field, t- which means that has to be part of the play then. So, and I guess also running to the short side of the field and also not running behind your best run blockers. I don't, I don't understand that. It's sometimes it's, sometimes it's okay to be predictable when it's Orlando Brown and, and, and Ben Powers blocking for you. Am I, I, am I wrong? I think is Lincoln Riley knows that. I mean, the whole entire offense knows that they have better players. I mean, they have really good players and they leaned on it. And that's why it goes back to the very beginning of the show. I mean, Lincoln Riley, lost confidence in his offense he lost confidence in his offense and it was really sad to see it happen at that time and I I think he's a he's such an awesome coach he is such an awesome coach I mean he is a absolute offensive wizard I mean he is so good at this and he proved it but whenever he needed to just really stick to his guns and stick to what he knows he tried to outsmart and get cute and it didn't work and it cost Oklahoma the game, man. And that's that's why I know the defense was bad. I know the defense was bad, but we knew that. And Oklahoma's offense knew they had to win it. They knew that going into the game. They were going to have to win it. And that's why they were so good at the start. And that's why it's just so discouraging to see Oklahoma's offense come up so small when Oklahoma had a couple of chances to win the game with its offense. Yeah, and, and I don't know. I it's 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 frustrating now that we just kind of relive it and go play by play because now I'm thinking about it and after they ran those plays every time I was just like what was that and um it, it was Lee it's just it, a really frustrating second half overall and I don't know do do you want to you want to put a bow on this one at least for uh, now I mean I I think I mean, we have we've bagged on the offense a lot I think we got to point out some defensive stuff though that that might be all you I I can only. Or maybe that's fine. That's fine. Can I maybe we'll uh, can I just throw out a couple observations that I can make just just kind of free yeah. free balling it here real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, both both of us, Lee, we said Kenneth Murray was the most important player on defense. Kenneth Murray was the worst player on the field for either team on on New Year's Day. He was awful. He was he was awful. Um, at least, and at least, uh, you know, I haven't gone back and really watched the defense very closely from the first half of the second half. Um, but, but pretty much on every single long run, you can, you can point at Kenneth Murray. Um, he, he, he had a really bad game and it, 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 at times it seemed like Georgia, Georgia's game plan was designed specifically to attack Kenneth Murray and Emmanuel Beal, which is I, which is what I said for a month was, especially them with Emmanuel Beal was my biggest fear was them just running to Emmanuel Beal side over and over again. So I don't know. What did you see in that, in that respect, Lee? Yeah, he... Man, I mean, what a what a huge uh, difference in talent level and just just experience and and just knowledge of the game. You go one side's got Roquan Smith, the middle linebacker. The other side's got Kenneth Murray, a true freshman who has been the same guy all year. Uh, I mean, he hasn't really got. He's been he's been plateaued as far as I'm concerned since the first snap against UTEP. I, I mean, he. He's got a lot to learn. I don't. I don't know if he's getting coached up correctly or whatever, or if he's just he's so excited. 
to make plays. But yeah, man, I mean, he just did not play well at all in that game. The and, word was on the on the ESPNU like they had the you know they had like the the panel of coaches watching the game and commenting on it. The word is that I saw on Twitter is that Gary Patterson was pulling his hair out watching Kenneth Murray fill run gaps. Like was actually was calling out oh. Kenneth Murray pretty much on every single play. I have that recorded on my DVR, and I haven't had the heart to go back and watch that. I mean, maybe I will at some point to and see so, the coach's thoughts. I, I just wanted to bring that up. And, and you know, also I thought um, I want to throw I thought Parnell Motley had a good game. I want to throw that out there. Um, I think any sort of issues Parnell Motley had in the middle of the season and I, I think those looked gone. I thought Parnell Motley played really confident and he played well. He tackled well. Um, and I thought Stephen Parker played well. Um, uh, other than that, I, I can't really pick out anybody on the defense who played particularly well. Lee, did you see anybody who stood out for you? No, no, those are some good guys. Uh, it's, it's difficult because just schematically, it just, Every once in a while, Oklahoma will throw a blitz out there, and it's like, that's a nice blitz that, that Mike Stoops dialed up. But it's like there's two different times in the game, and I'm going to focus on one of them here, where they blitzed on second and six. This is late in the game. Georgia's got the ball, obviously. They blitzed Murray up the middle, and they blitzed Caleb Kelly from the edge. And Fromm gets it away just before Kenneth Murray gets to him, and Fromm completes it easily to, to Terry Godwin for the first down against Parnell Motley. Where was Motley aligned? He was 10 yards off the ball like he was all night long, of course. And and once again, if you challenge your corners to make plays and cover their guys closer like Georgia did, Oklahoma could have turned these nicely timed blitzes into big plays. I mean, Fromm got rid of the ball because Godwin was easily open because of the cushion. I mean, if there's not that cushion there, does Fromm throw it? Uh, maybe, but then maybe Motley knocks the ball away or maybe even picks it off. Or maybe Fromm holds onto the ball and he gets sacked. It's just it's like it's like OU wants to be aggressive sometimes, but then super soft at other times. And sometimes that works. But the culture right now in Oklahoma's defense is like letting offenses dictate the action. And that needs to change because when you time out those blitz so well, like they did a couple times, like Stephen Parker had a nice sack. Uh, there was nice uh, another nice blitz up the middle where Kenneth Murray had a free run at from and from got it away just in time. And again, it's because of the soft cushion that from was able to complete a pass. It's just, if you're going to blitz these guys, make it more difficult on the receivers timing-wise and the quarterback because who knows? I mean, a couple of those plays and Fromm either holds on to the football or throws it and it's picked off or knocked away. I mean, that could change the entire game. And it's just, it's almost like Oklahoma shooting itself in the foot when it makes a nice call because of how soft they are playing coverage because they don't trust their secondary. And and I, it's just so hard to watch. Like I, I want to see some good defensive back play, and we're just not really getting it. I think, I mean, Trey Norwood's a, a, a nice player in coverage, not a very good tackler. He's so little, but the guy can play coverage. So if you get, you know, he needs to get some meat on his bones and, and bulk up a bit. But I mean, I think he could be a pretty good cover corner. And Parnell Motley can has shown that he's he's not bad either. So, uh, you know, we'll see. At least, I, I think maybe we should we should go more into the defensive the defensive issues at another time because I, I I did just just watching the first half I did notice some some issues just right off the bat that were that were unbelievable to me and they were they were scheme wise they, they were they were there were instances where where the Sooners had you know only five or so guys in the box on on first and second down a couple of times stuff like that I just it, there were times where I just I, it didn't feel like they were 
particularly ready to play defensively. And I know you brought up their stats earlier. If you take away their big runs, they really didn't run the ball for for crap in the game. And like I, you know, it they they still gave up over, you know, close to eleven yards of carry. So I, I don't really know how much that means. But um, and another thing too is I I mean obviously just look at the two defenses. Georgia has a different level of athlete on their defense. They've they've obviously recruited better on that side of the ball, and, and I think that obviously needs to change. So um, I I. I I, yeah, I mean, recruiting is obviously important, but they also have to be put in a good position to be and successful. I, I, I don't want I don't want anyone to think that means that I think you know the guys out there for OU can't get the job done. Uh, let me put you guys. You guys know I love S and P, and OU finished this year on defense. Their S and P rank was a hundred and first. That is completely unacceptable. Completely unacceptable. And they don't, they don't have 101st-ranked talent on defense. They still have top 25 talent on defense. And one of the reasons why this is so frustrating is if they can field a top 25 defense this year, they beat everyone by 30 points on their way to an undefeated national championship season. That's all they needed. They, they, if, 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 they, if you pair the 2015 defense, the team that got blown out in the Orange Bowl against Clemson, if you pair that defense with this offense— this is a 15-0 national championship team. No one gets within two scores of them. Uh, that's, that's really all they needed. And, and, I, and I don't think it's, it's not too much to ask to, to expect at least a top 30 defense at Oklahoma. I, I don't know. Do, do you think that's unreasonable, Lee? No, of course not. And they, course, not, not when all these other teams in the playoff have top 10 defenses. Top 10 and so I just and so I just want to put put a bow on this real quick and on on the game as a whole and here here I've been thinking about this a lot and exactly how I was going to put a bow on this for this exact podcast and I just I want to put some things in a con and some things in a context um, and some maybe some things that have that have made me feel a little bit better this year. I'm going to throw out that number again, 101st in defensive S and P and and I think what were they they're in the 50s or 60s in total yards by defense. Um, yeah, and, and, and like I that. and I think that's probably closer to where they are. Do I really think they're the hundred and first best defense in the country? Probably not. They're probably right there, kind of in the fifties and sixties. Still unacceptable, by the way. But but really, I in context, I think that just shows you how incredibly good this offense is, and how it was able to carry them up to this point. Guys, these two teams were were completely even. Oklahoma and Georgia are are virtually even teams. Um, one team is just is just way more balanced and way more complete. That's Georgia, and another team has the best unit, one of the best units in the history of college football, and, and it, it carried them this far. And, and really, they still sh- they should have won that game. Really, they they had they they had many more opportunities to salt that game away than Georgia did, and they kind of blew every single one of them. And um, it's one of those things where in this game, I, 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 I really do think you'll, you'll feel a lot better about it if you just go about it thinking like this, whereas these were two really even teams. These were two teams that I think were equally talented. OU has all of their talent on the offensive side of the ball, uh, where Georgia has a majority of theirs on the defensive side of the ball, but I think these two teams are going to have a similar amount of NFL players that played in this game. Um, go at it like this, Lee. OU really got the best of Georgia the first two quarters of the game. Um, maybe not as by not as much as people think, because Georgia still did move the ball pretty easily in that first half. Um, but everyone would agree, you know, going into halftime, OU had had significantly got the better of Georgia. 
Third quarter, Georgia dominated OU. Absolutely got the best of OU in that third quarter. And then in the and then so you could probably argue that going into the fourth quarter, both teams were were even. They they had dominated on an even kill the entire game. And then Lee in the fourth quarter, it was just a slugfest. Trading haymakers, and they were tied seven to seven at the end of the fourth quarter. And then at the very end in overtime, it came down to Georgia making a really nice special teams play. Uh, to really win the game for them, and that was one of the and that was one of the things that we hoped would not happen. And so, in a in, in a game where these teams were so even, it really did come down, you know, in that last second to just that one big special teams play that that Georgia made. If if you want to go to it up to that point, and so for me, that makes me feel a lot better about the game. I think it stings, it stings a lot, just because OU really did have a lot of opportunities to to win this game and to end it, you know honestly end it before the fourth quarter even started and so and so in that way I think we're always going to be looking back on it and thinking what if um and and so so that stinks but in in previous years Lee there has been some issues brought up with with Oklahoma players maybe not putting in a lot of effort maybe not really wanting to be there I know stories like that came out when they got blown out by USC in the Orange Bowl of course, that was the case a handful of years ago when they got run off the field by Clemson, um, not in the Orange Bowl, but the year before that. One thing I can say for, for certain in this game is those guys wanted to win that game very badly. They were there to win. They came out. They were ready to play. And unfor- you know what? So was Georgia. Georgia also really wanted to win, and someone had to lose. And unfortunately, we were just on the wrong side of this one. And And hopefully in the future that'll correct itself. Eventually, I think Oklahoma will be on the right side of, of insane games like this. I think now that's, 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 that's two ridiculous games that I've been to in my, in my life at OU. The other being that 08 Texas game, Lee, that are just, uh, just a complete gut punch to lose. And, and I, and if I had to, if I had to compare this game to any of those games, Lee, it would be that 2008 Texas game, just in, it just, it just really hurt to lose this one. I, I, me, and I know all, the entire Sooner fan base, and I know the, the Sooner football team. They really, really wanted this one, and, and it just didn't work out. I, I think they lost to a more complete team. I mean, yeah, like of course they wanted to win. That they want to win every game. So like I, I don't take any solace in oh these guys really wanted to win the game badly. Yeah, well of course they did. So, uh, and and they should have won. I mean they had plenty of opportunities to win. That's what's annoying about it is nobody's going to doubt their want to win it's just it didn't work out that way and it sucks because when everyone out there outside of Oklahoma and Georgia and obviously I mean Georgia doesn't feel this way but everyone talks about how awesome that game was it's a game you know of the century or I don't know whatever you want the best Rose Bowl ever like no I mean that's terrible it's awful game I hated it it was the it was this it was a stupid game it was a game that Oklahoma should have won by five touchdowns the way it was going Oklahoma so I'm sorry I don't I don't think it was a great game because of my thoughts on who I wanted to win the game and my, who my passions are for. And so I, and again, I, th- I think you're kind of, I, I know that you're, you're trying to like say that they're even and things like that. And, and yeah, I mean, technically Georgia was a more complete team because their offense and defense was both good compared to the Oklahoma's defense is not good. Uh, but even with that being the case, Oklahoma still should have won the game, which is still incredible. And uh, they just, it wasn't a special teams play that decided this game, in my opinion. It was 
the Oklahoma offense not being able to get the job done. Up they, to that they point, to. up so. to that point, it was all things being equal. You can't. I, I know the, all the things happened though, Lee, and up to that point, those teams had been one hundred percent even in that game, and yeah, it I was mean, Georgia who made technically. Yeah, that's that's true. And so I, I understand what you're saying, but this is also what I'm saying is that up until that point, it was forty eight to forty eight, and those teams had really had had literally and figuratively played to a drop to that point, and Georgia made the big special teams play. So I'm just talking about in that moment. That's where I'm coming from. And you know what? I, I know this game, it, it sucks, it hurts. And and you know what? If if they come off, if they come out and they win, if the Sooners can win, and you know, if they win a national championship in the next two or three years, I think this is one that, that a lot of people are not going to forget but are going to feel a lot better about, um, you know, if, if that happens, though, and I think a lot of people are coming out of this game thing, and I don't know if we're ever going to win one again, but I, I, I would be, I, I would caution you for saying that. The, the defense this year was, was historically bad for Oklahoma, and this, I mean, this offense can, can take a step back next year, and as long as the defense can improve radically, this team could be just as good next year as it is this year, if the defense oh. can improve. Yeah, I mean, I'm not. I'm not saying that it's like over anything like that. I mean, I, I, you know, one of our favorite things you and I is saying, you know, the two things can be true at once. And yeah, Oklahoma's defense did not play well, but also Oklahoma's defense gave Oklahoma a great chance to win the game. Oklahoma's offense played fantastic, really well, but Oklahoma's offense also had a chance to win the game and didn't. And so all those things are true. So, Everyone, again, I, it's not like a broken record. Everyone knew the defense was bad going in, and that's why it's just so it's so disheartening that the offense came up small when all year, with the exception of one drive against Iowa State in a random game where it was like, crap, this game sucks. You know, they didn't go down and tie the game against Iowa State. Other than that, the offense is, has risen to the occasion, and it had multiple opportunities, and, and it did not. And, I mean, if, I know we're trying to close this podcast. I, I have one final kind of – overarching thought that I'll, I'll get to and then I'll let you say you probably have a unless you have a response to what I just said if not I have one more thought oh no, no? go ahead go ahead okay so here we go so and, and if you know me and obviously you do Grant but those that are new I mean this next point I'm going to make I've been making this point for years so it's not just a snap judgment after Oklahoma lost the Rose Bowl in a crazy game this whole long layoff in college football in the bolt during the bowl season between these games is is dumb and it's it's trash it's garbage now did baker mayfield did did he run out of gas in that game at all i mean like maybe because he was sick uh i mean his his accuracy wasn't where it normally is was it was it because he just maybe he was sick he was 100 percent, or i mean was he just rusty because of, of the long layoff i mean i don't know i mean imagine if the nfl had a four-week break between the divisional round weekend and conference championship weekend. How stupid would that be? By the time the final four teams next played, it would feel like week one of the regular season and without like really any preseason games to get ready. I mean, there's no way the quarterbacks would be as sharp as they were prior to the month break. I mean, the point is, is that long breaks hurt teams like Oklahoma more than they hurt other teams. Oklahoma's offense is so fine-tuned and reliant on good quarterback play and high-level route combinations. Meanwhile, you got Georgia, who just runs the football a lot. And when they ask their quarterback to throw the ball, he doesn't have to fit the ball into tiny windows, or at least he doesn't have to go against, uh, or, or at least he, he is going against a bad defense in this situation like Oklahoma. 
So it, it was not as difficult on Jake Fromm. And, and I realize this comes off as me whining and making excuses for Oklahoma. But I, like I said, I've been saying this long layoff during bowl season's garbage for years and years. And we don't get the same teams that we get for the majority of the regular season in these bowl games. No other organized football league does this. The FCS has its national championship this Saturday, this upcoming Saturday. James Madison, North Dakota State. The semifinals for those games were three weeks ago. Okay, yeah, three weeks is a long layoff too. I, I don't like that either, but it's, it's better than four weeks. And sometimes it's not just four weeks, it's four weeks and another day or two. So like, I don't understand why the FBS can't adopt this kind of playoff system. To me, it's just it's maddening. And I know I sound like a broken record, but it's because I like college football. But ultimately, the setup once we get past championship Saturday in college football is absolute trash. And it's been trash for years. And you know why this Rose Bowl hurts so much, Grant? You know, obviously because of what happened in the game, obviously. But also because we had to wait 30 days. We talked about this game for 30 days. That is asinine. We wait all that time and experience all the buildup for one four-hour game. And that's what makes this hurt even more. And it's all because of the garbage setup of college football. And I, I hate it. I hate it so much. And I, it's, it's probably never going to change in my lifetime the way I want it to change. And it's, it's so maddening. And that's why every year, you know, like, and I was, I was more into college football this season than I have been in so many years. And it makes me even more mad now because I was so invested this time around. And I, it's just, that's that, I guess that's my, my last point. And I just, I hate it so much. And I know that we all love college football, but it can be so much better. It could be so much better, but it's just not. Okay. I, yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know if I agree with you in this. I, I don't think the layoff, I don't know if you can point to this game and say the layoff had an impact. I mean, OU played maybe their best offensive half all season long. They came out on fire. So um, they, they certainly were not rusty. Um, but yeah, Baker I mean, Mayfield I looked rusty throwing the football. Yeah, he did. He, he, he looked off, I, but I, 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 I mean, think you can't substitute game action, man. Like you can, but you know what? So much. He, he, he didn't look off last year against Auburn and they had, they had a longer layoff last year. So, you know, I'm, I, I, well, we have to go back and watch that game to see. I, mean, I, he, he I had would, that one real great dime to D.D. Westbrook. Great throw. He had a nice throw to, to Joe Mixon. I mean, yeah. I mean, and maybe maybe he was un, maybe he was less hundred percent. Maybe he really was sick, and that affected him too. I, I it, it may have something to do with it, but I mean, I agree. He was off. I thought he 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 had his worst game of the year. I, I think I, he played his worst game of the year, at least his least impactful game of the year. I thought. And you know, how much have, does that have to do with Georgia's defense? Probably a lot more than we, we're given credit for, but. You know what? I, I I thought I thought the offense played well enough to win. I think anytime you put up 530 yards against that defense, you know you played you played well enough to win. So I, I think that's just that that's where I'll end it. All right, before we go, just an update on our bowl picks. Bowl season's over. We got one extra game, the national title game. Just uh, you and I got crushed. We had uh, let's see, 24 games. We hadn't. Uh, set a record for anyways the last 24 games in bowl season you were 11 13 i was 13 and 11 it's just super impossible to pick these games i mean it's just that's another reason why bowl season is dumb and the the long layoff you never know how these teams are going to react and it's tough to pick winners so anyways 
you you beat me for the season. You're 69 and 41 for 62% win percentage. I was 64 and 46. So congrats. We got one more game left. I know we, you and I don't really care that much about it, but uh, just for fun, who are you picking, Alabama or Georgia? My gut says Georgia. My head says Alabama. I, I don't think Georgia is going to have, obviously, nearly the success running the ball against Alabama. Um, it's hard for me to overstate really how much the crowd played a factor in that Rose Bowl league. Georgia played a home game. The, the crowd was a, was a major influence on that game. And I don't know. I, I, I think Georgia playing in Atlanta, I, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think Alabama is a better team. But honestly, I, I think Jake Fromm is better than Jalen Hurts. And I, I think Georgia's got a better offense. I said that. I think it's going to be a really good game. I think it's going to be a, a nearly unwatchable game. I think it's going to be a really hard game to watch. I think it's going to be very, very ugly football. But I, you know, I, I'm going to go with Alabama. Uh, just I'll go with my head in the situation and not my gut. I'll go with Alabama. I, I don't think it's ever a bad thing to take Alabama. I think I'm, you know, giving myself a shot there. Yeah, I mean, it's it's easy to think that this game will be basically another home game for Georgia. They're playing in Atlanta, but as, as everyone knows, Alabama travels better than anybody so i mean there's going to be a ton of alabama fans there too i wouldn't be surprised if it was 50 50 somehow even though this game is taking place in the I state of georgia i bet it'll be like 60 40 georgia i mean i think it's only like a 50 mile difference between the the campuses to atlanta so it's not it's it's more of like it's more of like a, a an ou texas dallas type situation that's how far away it is for both for both places so you're right i mean it, it might be 50 50 but with it being in atlanta i would guess probably the straggler tickets would go to georgia fans so, but Alabama yeah, is going to have is going to have a lot of people there. But I, Georgia will have a is going to have an advantage. They're not going to have an advantage like they did in the Rose Bowl. It was they had a a succinct home field advantage in that game. I like Alabama to win this game by at least a touchdown. I, I mean, it's for me what it comes down to is I'm not sure if Georgia's offense is going to be able to even score a touchdown in this game, and it's because we all know Alabama can actually stop the run consistently and Alabama even though only a week to prepare they're gonna really make Jake Fromm look bad Grant he he is he's a he's a good player he's also very limited I saw enough from him against Oklahoma to tell me that Alabama's defense will eat him alive he missed four different throws against OU on third down that were not hard throws that were helpful to Oklahoma that were just bad throws and now you got Alabama's defensive backs coming in, playing press coverage and playing tight coverage. He's not going to have that that cushion. He's not going to be able to to um, have those easy throwing lanes against Alabama. If if Georgia can't run the ball, which which I don't think they're going to have nearly as much success running the ball like they had against Oklahoma. That's that's obvious. I mean, nobody's going to have as more success running the ball than that game because that was like a, an all timer. Uh, this is going to be a long game, I think, for Georgia and their offense. And it, it's really sad because Oklahoma. Oklahoma matches up so much better with Alabama and and with only a week to prepare for Oklahoma's offense I'd love to see Alabama try to stop it but we are denied that unfortunately I think Alabama's gonna win the game I, and I'm gonna go with at least a touchdown because the line is like four and a half five let's, let's give Alabama is gonna struggle to move the ball on Georgia too let's not let's let, let's give Georgia's defense a little credit I, I think no, Georgia's got like, no. Yeah, I'm with you. I just, I, that's why. I mean, yeah, I, I don't think Alabama's going to like put up a bunch of points. A- or anything Alabama, like that, Alabama has Georgia's offense is going to be able to do a whole lot. Alabama hasn't run the ball this year nearly as well as they have in the past. Their offensive line isn't great. Georgia is going to have a lot of success against Alabama's offense. I said this is this is a game that might be in the teens. It, it might be one of those games. 
Yeah. Yeah, take the under. I'm not sure what the over-under is, but take the under in this one. Okay, well, that's our show. We'll be back next week with a look back at all of our preseason predictions. We're going to go through individual predictions, team predictions, Big 12, national, a lot of stuff. See what we got right. See what we got wrong. Should be pretty fun. Expect the next episode to drop Wednesday of next week. I am off work on Tuesdays, so it's easier for me to record at that time as opposed to on Wednesday night when I'm at work. So as of now, plan on a Wednesday episode next week. For Grant, I'm Lee. This is West of Everest.